Okay, so Michael, okay. this is from the hipster contemporary subculture entry on Wikipedia. Okay, from one critic, I'll leave him nameless. He writes that these aesthetics are simulated, cannibalized into a repertoire of meaninglessness from which the hipster can construct an identity in the manner of a collage or a shuffled playlist on an iPod. He also criticizes how the subculture's original menace has long been abandoned and has been replaced in the form of not quite passive aggression called snark. Snark? <laughs> so the defining characteristic of a hipster is snark rather than. So I don't have a fixie bike. I don't wear. Actually, I'm going to say don't wear a scarf. I guess I wear a scarf sometimes, but mostly for warmth. Do you have any vinyl records? I don't have any. Actually, I do have. I do have a vinyl record, but only one, because <laughs> it was a Kickstarter <laughs> reward. You don't have a healthy amount or, or, you know, an impressive amount of facial hair going on? No, clearly not. But I do have an impressive amount of snark that I can bring to bear against any and all. I'm fortunate enough to fall into my cone of vision. I really want to talk about your Mark Six obsession, because you've said it's only been a recent thing. We, we, we've actually talked about it on the podcast before. Have we? Yeah, yeah we have. I vaguely remember having to look it up and put it in the show notes. But it's still going strong. Yes, so the Mark Six, the Hong Kong Lottery. I just buy a ticket whenever it's a mega rollover. Do you like to pick your own numbers? No, I just get a random computer pick. What's been the longest run of games you've played? Only two or three, because... I will think about buying a ticket once it passes 60 million Hong Kong dollars. How do you stay abreast of the situation? Do you have an alert that comes in from what sort of... Usually someone will mention it. Someone, well, it used to be that people at work would mention it's like, oh, have you seen the Mark 6 jackpot? It's up to, you know, X tens of millions. In the current workplace? In the current workplace. And that's why you didn't do it before? No, no, no. I do, I do it now because I'm trying to escape. <laughs> Sorry, anyone I work with who may be listening. Yeah, I'm trying to escape the dull corporate life. I'm hoping for a, a big win so I can follow my dreams of spreading snark unfettered. Full-time. Full-time. I can become a full-time snark dispenser. Well, that's a proper brand you could go for, actually. There's a book, the website, the blog, the podcast. <laughs> the po- it's a new way of life. Snark the podcast. The snark way of life. I like this. Yeah, fuck like, uh, positive psychology. <laughs> positive psychology. That's right. It's like... Who who did you snark today? Not not what are you grateful for? Who did you snark today? It's like I saw someone buying a hazelnut latte and I smirked. I'm kidding. I didn't do that. That would be cruel. I've never had a hazelnut latte. Are they nice? Yeah, they're okay. <laughs> no one is safe. <laughs> it's gonna have a bunch of emo kids following you. You'll be their leader. I don't think so. I don't think so. Imagine that, though. It's like that Casey Neistat. Have you seen Casey Neistat? No. He's risen incredibly quickly through the ranks of the YouTube subscriber rankings. Like he, I think he has 6 million subscribers. It's been like a meteoric rise. I can't remember exactly what period he did it over, but he's gone up very quickly. He's like a vlogger, like an inspirational vlogger. So maybe, maybe I can be a snarky vlogger, and that will uh, get me my million subscribers and make me internet famous. You have to be inspirational still. Inspirationally snarky. Yeah, there you go. It's like, I wouldn't have had the courage to be snarky in that situation, but he just went and did it. He just went and did it. What a dick. It's amazing. I wish I could do that too. 
Well, now you can. Now you can. So, welcome to Lost Levels Club. I have tonight with me here, Sir Michael. Hello. And myself, Timothy. And now he'll say it in some old man voice. Timothy. Very good. Okay, and today we are a book club for games, covering Earthbound for the last time. For the last time. Are you going to bless us with a summary? Well, first off, I should say there are obviously spoilers for Earthbound. Spoilers for Earthbound to the end of the game. And in summary, what did we do this time? So we picked up in Stonehenge base. We took out the Starman DX, shut down the base, rescued our friends. We learned that the book to Overcoming Shyness had been returned to the Onnit Library. We picked it up. We went back to Tender Village. The newly no longer shy tenders opened up the path to the Lost Underworld. We went to the Lumen Hall, which is a 7th sanctuary location. And it was a giant LED board that read your thoughts. And then passing on from the Lumen Hall, we entered the Lost Underworld itself. We met another tribe of tenders and they told us about the Fire Spring, which was the final sanctuary location, after which... We got the final melody, we completed the song, we entered a world made of our own memories called Magicant, we unlocked our true potential psychic powers, we could suddenly see the future and just knew we had to go to Saturn Valley, we repaired the phase distorter, whatever the hell that is, with a piece of a meteorite, went into the cave of the past, got another improved version of the Phaser's Daughter and went into the actual past as robots, defeated Gygus, and that's the end of the game. All from memory as well. All from memory, there you go. This is where I look at the notes and realise, oh shit, I forgot this whole super section. But no, I think that's correct. That sounded good to me. Well, let's talk about then for each of those areas, if there was anything particularly noteworthy. And then at the end, let's have a summary of how we felt about the game as a whole. Okay. Deal. Okay, Scott. So Stonehenge Base. Do you have any fun stories to share from Stonehenge Base? Because I have a story. Yeah, I'll follow on from your story. Number one, it's, it's blocked by a metal eraser, which you need the eraser eraser to erase. And you could go to Stonehenge Base much earlier and see this metal eraser and be unable to do anything about it. So you finally get the eraser eraser now from the lab and get into the base. And... I assumed that the metal erasers were going to be like the pencils and there would be more of them in the game. So I just carried around this eraser eraser for the whole game, pretty much. But this metal eraser is the only one in the entire game. So yet more inventory fluff causing me more problems. Anyway, the main story I have to tell about Stonehenge Base is it is the only place in the game where you can get Pooh's one weapon. So Pooh can't generally equip any items except for this set of King's items, the Sword of Kings, the Bracer of Kings, the Diadem of Kings, and I think the Cloak of Kings. The Sword of Kings is his only weapon, and it is a rare drop from an enemy that is only in Stonehenge Base. And once you beat the boss of Stonehenge Base, the enemies disappear forever, so you get one shot to do this. If you're going to get Pooh's weapon, you have to do it now. I had the misfortune of knowing that this sword existed, and I decided I was going to get it. The chances of it dropping are 1 in 128 
from a Starman Super. I went into Stonehenge Base at level 56, and I started killing Starman Supers. Six hours later, I was level 97. It had not dropped. I don't know how many hundreds of Starman Supers I had killed at this point, but it must have been a lot. There's another item that has a 1 in 128 chance of dropping, which is Brain Food Lunch from regular Starmen. I killed more Starman Supers than I killed regular Starmen, and three Brain Food Lunches dropped. Each time at the end of the battle it would say, the enemy left a present behind, and I'd be like, oh yes, finally, and it would be a Brain Food Lunch, and I'd be like, fuck! (laughs) So, at level 97, I finally decided to give up, because, again, something that happens later in the game, when you beat Magicant, which we'll get to later, you get a massive boost to all your stats, but only if you're not at max level. So if you're at level 99, you don't get this boost. And I had got to most of the way through level 97, and I was thinking, shit, by the time I get to Magicant, I'm going to hit max level. I'm not going to get this boost. And also the game's going to be all messed up. The balance is going to be completely wrong, because now I'm basically beyond the level you'd expect to be at the end of the game already. So what's the point of this fucking sword anyway? So I actually... Not only did I give up, I reloaded an earlier save state from hours earlier when I was only level 70 and carried on from there. Don't do the Sword of Kings, kids. Seriously. Total waste of time. Waste of my life. Don't listen to him. Do the Sword of Kings, kids. Do it. Did you get the sword? No. You didn't know it existed? No. Lucky you. Seriously, you're so lucky. But Pooh was useless to me. It's because you just don't know how to use Pooh. Poo actually wound up being awesome, but again, we'll get to that later. You know how to handle poo. <laughs> I know how to handle poo. What are you trying to say, Ting? Anyway, even grinding from level 56 to level 70, I mean, that's actually a lot more than you would get going through this area just naturally, I think. If you just went from start to finish and fought the enemies you would naturally fight on the way to the boss, I don't think you'd get to anywhere near level 70. So even level 70 was quite overpowered. And I also, after exiting the base and calling my dad, he was like, oh... I just deposited $222,000 in your bank account. And that, that was just a level 70 save. I, I should actually go back and see what I would have got at level 97. Because it must be a lot of money. A lot of money. The other interesting thing that happens is level 70, you actually get life up Omega. So I finally have a group heal. And it, it just immediately makes it worth using Nez for healing. Because life up Omega is 24 PP. If you think about it, casting life up alpha on each of your party members is going to cost you 20 PP, because that's four times five. Mm. One life up alpha will heal you about 100 health points. One casting of life up omega will heal everyone in your party for three or 400 health points. So it's just way better. So from this point on, Nez is either smashing or just group healing. No Stonehenge based stories? No. We can move on. We don't know, you know. Okay. There's loads more locations to come okay so tender village with the no longer shy tenders and there's a a horn of life quest yes once the tenders are no longer shy well basically the vendor doesn't take cash he wants horns of life instead and i think to get his best item you have to give him seven horns of life or maybe eight something like that yeah I don't know if they did it just to be extra annoying, because at this point in the game, you've got a lot of money, so buying seven horns of life is not a big deal. But making room in your inventory for seven horns of life, now that's a big deal. I never thought about it like that. Did you do it? Yeah, I did. 
because I wanted to see what was on the on the end of that. I needed to know. Yeah, the top of the list is the Hall of Fame bat, which sounds like it should be awesome. Yes, it does. But it's actually kind of mediocre. I mean, it is a better weapon than your current weapon. But it wasn't like a game-changing weapon. No. It was just a nice upgrade and a bit of pointless filler, if you ask me. Because you just step outside, teleport, do a load of inventory faff to fit in Seven Horns of Life, teleport back. It's such a shame when you break it down into the pure mechanics. You make it sound so empty. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I'm taking all the whimsy out of it. Yeah. <laughs> it is It is nice. I guess it is nice. You know, it's nice to have variety. It's true. It is nice to have variety. I mean, when you, it's like, oh, but everything in the game is really just following rules. So why don't we make a game about following rules? That will be fun and reductionist. It's a shame people can't see your expression on this podcast. <laughs> I can't fight it. Did you take a tea break? I did take a tea break. Of course I took a tea break. I wasn't about to say no to a cup of tea. I was going to check my phone. How do you feel about the tea break? I think it would have worked back in the 90s. But nowadays I just don't have the time. I can't remember at all what was said in the tea break. I remember it played the same music as the coffee break earlier on. It did make me think, oh, the tenders and the satins, they're just kind of more the same thing. But the tenders are a more boring version. And... Yeah, you're right. I think I just zoned out. I think I, I don't think I fast forwarded through the tea break because that would be rude. But I think I did probably just check my phone <laughs> and look up every now and then to read the text. But it kind of just didn't stick. Just slid right through my brain. Could have said something really important about the apple of enlightenment. It could have done, but I don't think it did. I think I would have remembered that. You would have too busy checking your phone. Is it the elder who asks... Do you know where Pokey went? I don't know who asks. Someone in Tender Village who you talk to basically asks you, do you know where Pokey went? And thinking about it now, it's quite strange because why would they know about Pokey in the first place? Exactly. But yeah, it was an interesting reminder that we're chasing Pokey because this last section of the game is pretty much about chasing Pokey. I guess we have been chasing Pokey for the whole game. We just didn't realise at first. Was Pokey with Mr. Carpenter? I can't remember. But Pokey was definitely in the Monopoly building and he took the helicopter. And then we actually find the crashed helicopter in the deep darkness. So Pokey definitely came this way. And several of the NPCs from this point on mention Pokey. Like, either explicitly by name or that they saw a fat kid. It's kind of rude, actually, when you think about it. (laughs) It's like, you wouldn't... That's kind of un-PC these days. That's fattest. But yeah, so we are clearly still chasing Pokey. And... Again, I guess, well, we'll get to that when we get to it. And I had a problem with, like, Pooh's diet. He wasn't so keen on some of the food I was feeding him. Oh, yeah, my culpa. So I was wrong about the rice gruel, too. I thought that Eastern foods were better for Pooh, so rice gruel would heal him. But I was wrong, actually. Nothing heals Pooh apart from brain food lunches, I think. Well, water heals PP and brain food lunches heal his health. But that's fine. That's all you had. You just worked with that. Yeah, I just went with that. I mean, I think you can buy brain food lunches in Dalam. I just didn't... I couldn't heal him. He's so annoying. I had to use the side powers to heal him. The, the side powers are way better for healing anyway than the food. The food's a complete... I mean, 
I had thrown away all my food at this point. I, I think I'd actually thrown away all my food to make room for the freaking seven horns of life. Oh, I thought you were going to say the multi-bottle rockets. Oh, oh, that too. But I threw away all my food other than brain food lunches, and it was a good decision. It was a good decision. But I was saving up those bits of food, like the double burger for an occasion, like the moment special I needed. occasion. Yeah. Pointless. If you, if you think about it, brain food lunches are especially effective on poo. They're actually, for poo, they are a full health point heal and a full PP heal. So whereas the others, the best PP restoring item is the magic truffle, of which there are only five, and they will heal 80 PP. Do you can't buy them? I don't think you can buy them. Well, you, to be honest, I don't know. I never used them. I, ne- I only got the one. It's like, I've only got one precious magic truffle. I must send it to Escargo Express. But brain food lunches, well, to be honest, I didn't run out of PP that often anyway. But when I did, Pooh gets a full heal. So over 100 PP easily from eating a brain food lunch. So if you do want to go all out with Pooh's psi powers, you definitely can. Actually, to be honest, again, I was really frugal. I hate spending items. I, I hate using consumable items. I'm like, oh, but they're limited. I don't want to use them. I actually, well, you know what? When I was in Stonehenge Base, sorry, going back again, and I was grinding for that six hours, I didn't use any items at all for that entire six hours. All I did was Psy Magnet as Paula and Pooh to regain Psy points. Oh, that's a good idea. It's a good idea. It's a terrible grindy mess. It was a waste of time. I should just use I should just use items. You know, it's like that's the thing. It's like my personality. I'm like a squirrel. I don't like to spend things. I just hoard things. But now you appreciate the butterflies. I appreciate the butterflies. Yay, 20 PP. I can spend 20 PP on something. Yeah. You know, they keep coming back though. That's true. That's true. Where do you want to move to next? So I think the next area that's actually interesting to talk about is the Lost Underworld. It, again, it's a really... It's really surprising, actually. There's a completely unique set of graphics just for the Lost Underworld. Unlike the rest of the game, it's really zoomed out. Nez and the party are just tiny. They're like four or five pixels high. And so it feels like you're in this massive, huge area. It's at a completely different scale to the rest of the game. Hmm. So while you're five, four or five pixels, the dinosaurs are the size of a normal Ness. Yeah, so you're clearly being attacked by enormous dinosaurs. Did you fight many of them? Yeah. <laughs> I just ran away from all of them. I, I fought one and I was like, oh, that was a ball ache. And then the next time I saw one, I just walked off screen until it had gone. So I actually managed to get through the whole area only fighting one dinosaur. Sometimes they're just in the way. Yeah, but I, I was cheesing it. I would just walk off screen. Because the game actually doesn't... Things I learned from my six hours of grinding at Stonehenge Base, when you walk off screen, it resets the enemies. So when you walk off screen, it might spawn a different set of enemies next time. So when there are enemies you don't want to fight, just walk to scroll the enemies off screen and walk back again, and there might be none next time. I did that too. Just not with the dinosaurs. I, I needed the XP as well. Yeah, I did not need the XP. The other interesting thing here then, so I think this is the sort of humour that Earthbound is renowned for. You meet another tribe of tenders here who are not shy and they've clearly got a very interesting perspective on the world since 
you get up to the village and you you knock on the door and they're like, huh, what are you doing in our dinosaur cage? But with your greatly zoomed out perspective, you can obviously see that their village is like a tiny encircled ring of houses protected by a fence. But they think the whole outside world is the cage. And it's a matter of perspective, I guess. It certainly is. Like, what's the difference between inside and outside? I remember, okay, this is getting to sound kind of weird, but I remember having this profound realization one time while sat on the toilet and I looked up and I saw like a spider's web in the corner of the room and I was thinking, does the spider know that it's inside? What's the difference between inside and outside to an animal? I'm not sure where I'm going with this. Sorry. There's so many places you go with this. <laughs> I guess I'm trying to say inside and outside like a human concept, maybe. I yeah. don't know. Like the safety of being inside. Yeah. You feel like inside is, is a different thing. Yes. But it's not as powerful as this one. I mean, this is crazy. <laughs> this, called... is, this is just straight up madness. Yes, yeah, I mean, it's the cage outside. The difference between the inside and the outside of the cage is that the inside is smaller, I would say. Yes. So mostly. I would say that these tenders are just wrong. But it's cute. Idiots. Deploy snark. The fire spring. Man, there's a lot of this combat you don't really need to think about for a long time. So in this in this dungeon, I had quickly learned how to use my non-offensive or how the non-offensive Psy powers are used. So one of them was Psy Shield. I think the enemies just deploy them against you, right? So there are two kinds of... Well, actually, there are four kinds of shield. A regular shield that protects you against physical attacks. There is a Psy Shield that protects you against Psy attacks. There's a Power Shield, which protects you against physical attacks and reflects them. And there's a Psy Power Shield, which protects you against Psy attacks and reflects them. So And the reflecting ones basically bounce half the damage of the attack back at whoever initiated the attack huh that's not how i interpreted how i interpreted it at all because i thought there was there's only two types of shield and there was a chance a percentage chance of it reflecting or deflecting but that makes more sense I, I, I can't remember what they're called but the side powers there's i think when it comes to the side powers you can cast i think Pooh casts Nez and Pooh, I think, cast physical shields. Paula has a side shield, or maybe I've got that the wrong way around. And then they have a version that casts a shield on one person, a power shield on one person, a shield on everybody, or a power shield on everybody, I think. But in any case, the boss of this area is unusual. So it has two phases, and the second phase can cast a physical power shield. I'm trying to try and think back. If I'd known this, it would have probably made my life a lot easier. Yeah, because this isn't actually the first boss that does this. But it's, I think it's the most surprising. Because in the first phase, it doesn't do this. It's only in the second. It's quite cute, actually, because I think the first phase is called Carbon Dog. And the second phase is called Diamond Dog. Which, I don't know if that's some David Bowie reference. Or a reference to having you crush the Carbon Dog into Diamond. So how how did you fare against the Diamond Dog? I did okay, but I was always overly worried about these things. See, I was really cocky because I was like, oh, I'm overleveled, whatever, multi-bottle rocket in your face. And then unfortunately it was a multi-bottle rocket in my face because the killing blow with 
like 2k damage was a multi-bottled rocket and then he turned into diamond dog immediately power shielded and reflected 900 damage back at jeff but miraculously jeff survived because another thing i think we haven't mentioned but is a critical mechanic of earthbound your health does not get taken away from you immediately there's like a maximum rate of gaining or losing health so if you gain health the numbers spin up and if you lose health the numbers spin down and that's happening in real time so there actually have been quite a few enemies in the game up to this point i think the first one is some kind of tree in the valley on the way to carpenter's area and then even in stonehenge base there's like these atomic fuel robots where when they die they just do this massive amount of hundreds of damage to everyone in the party but because the battle ends while your health is still spinning down you don't actually take the full damage and as you get higher level and you get more health it becomes much more feasible to just heal your way through so even though i took 900 damage and jeff mortal damage mortal well jeff definitely does not have 900 hit points but while it was still spinning down i just did a life up omega and everyone was fine so a lot of the threat in the game i think was neutralized at this point i was just powering through as well I, i was just avoiding a lot of fights or just nuking things because i'd wasted six hours of the day grinding in stone edge base finally we get the final sanctuary we get the melody we hear the complete song and we get a nice flashback as well to when you're a baby and your psi powers first manifest and your parents are talking about their hopes and dreams and then magicant where it's all strange and you're in your pajamas did you know in the japanese version you're naked no i did not do you wish you played the japanese version no, I'll pass, thanks. But there's there's quite a few things that changed in the Japanese version. But I think this is the standard censorship that Nintendo used to do as well in the past. Because, like, the cafe in Foresight, for example, is a bar in the Japanese version. Like, they removed all religious references. They removed all alcohol references. Which is was standard for Nintendo games at the time. You never had a NES or a SNES, did you? So I guess you never experienced this. Yeah, that was a standard thing for Nintendo to do at the time. All I know is about Mortal Kombat, I think. Mortal Kombat, bizarrely, did have the blood, or at least Mortal Kombat 2 did. Anyway, there you go, tangent, tangent done. Anything of note to say in Magicant? The only thing I wrote down here was, it mentioned my food, my favourite food. It's the first time, isn't it? Finally. Did you ever go home to visit your poor, long-suffering mother? No, I talked to her on the phone. (laughs) If you go back to Honor, I think she does actually say, oh, I'll make you some insert favourite food here. Oh, okay. But there is a tiny section of Magicant, which is like your house in miniature. So you can talk to your mum, you can talk to King, and you can talk to your sister. And your sister can still do the Escargo Express stuff of allowing you to access your stash. Does she deliver personally now? You're just talking to her in person. So yeah, she just gives you the item straight away. No delivery man. For free. For free. You should have done that. Yeah, oh. you could have walked. Yeah, you can walk back to on it and you can do it for free. Well, you're paying PP instead of 18 bucks, which is more valuable to you. Money. What? <laughs> because I'm a hoarder. Because you're a hoarder. Trick question. Your time is more valuable. Your time is more valuable. What are you, a sharecropper? I'm going to spend the rest of my life not knowing that or not learning that. 
the lesson I learned is that your Escargot Express box can fill up. Do you know the capacity? I didn't count, but I tried to, you know, with my standard propensity of being unable to throw away or sell unique items. I had the stupid Hall of Fame bat, and because I knew I'd got it from getting Seven Horns of Life, I didn't want to throw it away or sell it because I couldn't get another one. And I, I know this is like, like a mental defect, and so. I wanted to keep it in case I ever wanted to use it again. I mean, I'm never going to use it again. So when I see you in 40 years' time, you're going to be the man with the big house, but full of newspapers. <laughs> you have to climb over newspapers to get to your living room, or even get into your house. You, you joke, but over Christmas, I was back in my my you know my family house, and I was like looking in my room, and I found like a bag of newspapers from university, like the student newspaper that I just never thrown away. I just like collected them all the way through term and never got around to reading them, but just never threw them away either because I thought I might want to read them one day. And they're still there. I didn't throw them away. <laughs> I have got better. I have got better. I something I did over Chinese New Year. I just went and threw away a load of receipts. I just found his drawer full of receipts, and I was like, "Oh, a receipt for a hamburger I bought three years ago. I guess I can throw it away now. I'm not likely to try and claim a refund on it." Yeah. So I- I'm getting better. I'm clearly not better yet. So, did you keep things like the protractor? Yes. Do you know what it does? No. That's the reason I store. That's the reason I stored it. I was holding. I can't. Do you get given a protractor at some point? I don't even remember. For some reason, there are some items that I got earlier in the game, and I wasn't sure what they did. And because I wasn't sure what they did, and I wasn't sure whether I'd be able to get another one, I just stashed them. So I actually had in my Escargo Express box from the very beginning of the game a protractor a postcard, some cold medicine, that cookie from the very first time I talked to this Cargo Express guy and I was like, please have this cookie. So I had to churn my way through my inventory in order to take things out of this Cargo Express to throw them away to make room to put new stuff in. Funnily enough, I actually threw away some useful items that I knew I could buy again because like, I had the legendary bat, but I'd bought that from a shop. So I was like, oh, I can get another one of these that I want. In the bin you go. So what did you use instead? Well, I picked up the magic and bat, or I wanted to pick up the magic and bat. That's why I needed the space to be able to stash the Hall of Fame bat. Because you get that in magic and it's just in a, it's just in a box on the way. So yeah, I had to go through this whole inventory churn cycle of throwing away stuff. But Escargo Express can get full, so it's not limitless. I mean, obviously it wasn't going to be limitless because there's finite storage on the cartridge, but it wasn't like it's a thousand items. It's not like it's some limit you're never going to hit. It's actually something you can quite easily hit if you're a hoarder. And then what? We become super powerful. We get the massive stat boost. We get double the side points. We become unstoppable. And then we go to Saturn Valley. Why? I don't know why. It just literally said go to Saturn Valley. How do you, I mean, what do you feel about this? I'm not surprised. Because? This is how it's been going all along. Yeah, I guess so. I suppose it has just been like, now go here. Huh? Okay. Just don't question it. But obviously this stuff means more to you than it does to me. Because here I just accept it. I don't question it. I don't think there's, I don't necessarily think there's a deeper reason for these things. I found that, well, when you get to Saturn Valley, 
there's this whole kind of sub-quest about repairing the phase distorter, which itself, I didn't really quite get what was going on. Like, the, the way they talked about it, it sounded like you were meant to know what the phase distorter was, and that they're trying to build a phase distorter too, and because Pokey's taking phase distorter, the original one, I was quite confused by this whole section. I, I vaguely remember it being mentioned earlier in the game when you first meet Dr. Antonuts, but they dumped a whole load of stuff on me that it felt like I was supposed to know more about. Because I thought the phase distorter was in the lab in the first place. That may, that may not be the case. Well, maybe it was, and I just didn't notice it, but the phase distorter too certainly looks like a giant Mr. Saturn. And I don't think the, the original one did. And that maybe it looked a bit like the Skyrunner, the, the Mark One. I guess the main thing here is that they send you to Onnit, which has now been, well, which is now under attack by Gygus. And it's interesting because it's the only time in the game when Gygus is really actually actively acting on the world. The rest of the time he's just kind of been this nebulous menace making people be evil sort of whereas he's they actually actively say he's attacking on it and when you go back to on it everyone's locked in their houses the only house you can go into is your own and your mum and sister are like oh let's stay quiet and keep the lights off but it's over very quickly or maybe it was over very quickly because i was just powering through and over leveled but i got to the meteor got the zex knight from the meteor and then that was it I mean, it was over very quickly. It, it was a strange diversion. I mean, I think it's yet another odd pacing. The the game having odd pacing. It, it makes sense. They have to bring you back to the beginning to bring it to a close. Yeah, that's true. I never thought of it like that. I suppose it is nice to, to come full circle all the way back to Meteor. Like, the Meteor finally has a point, yep. I guess. So, yeah, that's true. That is nice. And then the final area, the cave of the past. And then really the cave of the past in the past. What is the deal with putting you in robot bodies? That's a real important issue for you. I just accepted it. If so, it's so weird. Well, it's because your, your, your souls have... I can't remember why. What's the dubious reason they use? It just seems like such an odd thing to do. Like, I don't quite understand what... Cause, Okay, okay, Just so just to go into the detail for a moment for why I think it's really strange. You fix the Phase Distorter 2, you get in the Phase Distorter 2 and teleport to the Cave of the Past, where you bump into a Mr. Saturn and the ruins of the Phase Distorter Mark 1. And he's just like, oh, I was kidnapped, but I'm free now, yay. Anyway, you wander around this very small area and then magically appearing is the Phase Distorter Mark 3. And... Dr. Andernuts and Apple Kid and a Mr. Saturn walk out of it and go, hey, we made a Phase Distorter Mark III. It's like, we just only just fixed Phase Distorter Mark II. And he's like, oh, the Mark III can go back in time. And Gygus is attacking from the past. You need to go back into the past to beat him. It's like, how does he attack from the past? What does that even mean? It's so not he, a place. 
Yeah, the past is not a place. What is or is the past a place? Mm, thinking about it. No, but does that mean he's doing stuff in the past and its effects are felt in the future? It doesn't seem like that. It seems like he's actually attacking from the past. Just let him attack over there. It's fine. Yeah, it's just, it seems very odd. And then it's like, okay, so you need to go back in time to fight him. Luckily, the Faces of Order 3 can go back in time, but going back in time will destroy your human bodies. So we need to put you into robot bodies. We'll need to, we need to put your soul into robot bodies. And then you may or may not be able to come back. What? Mm. I don't quite understand why they did this. Putting aside for one moment how they managed to build another whole phase distorter in about 30 seconds. Well, they've travelled back in time to... No, but they, well, they couldn't have travelled back in time because it would have destroyed their bodies. Yeah, they would have to be robots. <laughs> that would have been cool, actually. That would have been really cool if they came back as robots and they'd be like, yeah, we're from the future. We built another phase distorter. You must go back in time. But they don't do that. But anyway, they could easily have been like, oh, actually, we need to upgrade your phase distorter to go back in time. You do the final battle, you get back in it and come back to the present. But no, I don't know. Maybe they were worried about you having a time machine. Maybe they were worried about just for the future plot, having a time machine. And they wanted to put some reason why you couldn't do it. You know, maybe they were already thinking about a sequel. But for whatever reason, yes, they put you into robot bodies and you go back in time. I I just I just keep bringing it up because I find it so strange. And then the final area. You struggled. Yeah, I couldn't. I really struggled to keep my party alive. So you just gave up and left them dead. I left them dead. You left them for dead. Literally. I know. They just went to the hospital, right? (laughs) They They went to the hospital in the past as robots. But they would have been, I don't know. Well, I'm sure, had I quit out to find them, could I have even left there? Could I have teleported out? No, once once you go to the past, you're stuck there. That's it. There's no returning. Well, okay, well, I left them to. I left them for dead. I just used Ness, and I just smashed everything. I smashed everyone, everything, moving, not moving, I didn't care. I smashed it, and it worked out. <laughs> I, I actually did the opposite. I think you're right. I think it's quite hard to keep everyone alive if you're, or it's it's just a real drag. It's like, well, I could have just used the group heal a lot, or used poo to res people. But yeah, it was a pain. I actually just ran away from everything. That would work as well. Running away, yeah, running away from everything is like the quickest way to end a battle. It seems because when you run away, it just the enemy disappears from the map as if you'd actually beaten it. You don't get the XP, but I didn't need the XP anyway. So, yeah, so you did have that benefit. Y- you put all the effort in up front. Yes, that's right. So I I hardly fought anything in this final area. I just ran from the battles until I got to the final, final area, which is all weird and intestiny. But not too weird because it's quite pixely. (laughs) And then the final boss, finally, Gigas or Gigas. I think it's probably meant to be Gigas because apparently... The Japanese is something like Geeg, but I'm saying Gigas because I think it sounds better. Fine. So although it's allegedly Gigas, really it's Pokey. I can't believe it's actually Pokey. I can't believe... I, I you, thought... You, you called it. That's what you called. I, I called... You called it. Kind of, kind of, kind of. Well, I thought he was going to be recurring like some sort of lame antagonist, but I didn't think he'd actually be effectively the final boss. The thing is, Gigas, like you said, is kind of lame as well yeah Gigas turns out to be the lame antagonist it turns out that Gigas is the anticlimax and pokey pokey is the villain because 
Gygus apparently put so much power into being evil or so much energy into being evil that he kind of just broke his mind and now he's just this nebulous power of evil and pokey is actually the brains behind the whole operation imagine if you put that much effort into being snarky <laughs> imagine it's like he put so much energy into being snarky he just became this pure elemental force of snark and then ting ting just directs him <laughs> yeah ting's like mike that barista and like snark I'll have a mocha, venti, hazelnut, chocker, latte, organic skim, no foam. I, is that snark or not? I don't even know where I was going with that. I was channeling my inner Zoolander. Okay, my main question about this. How come Pokey isn't a robot? Because he doesn't care about coming back. It's not that you can't come back. It's that it destroys your body. He took a risk. He's too vain. He's too vain. <laughs> yeah. Maybe Pokey's just got a better time machine. That's true. I don't know. Or maybe Gygus can control... Okay, for whatever reason, Pokey is clearly not playing by the same rules. Or his robot form is more human-like. Oh, maybe he is a robot. That would be cool. He does look kind of zombie-like. He is kind of blue, isn't he? Whatever. Anyway, he's the boss. We smash him. To bits. Well, we destroy his... We destroy his weird spider-mech thing. And then he says that Gygus is actually in this... Machine, the, the devil's machine containing his power and he releases it and then it all goes strange and wibbly wobbly nebulous evil you cannot comprehend the form of Gygus's attack and then you just beat it you just tried to I just tried to beat him you, you, you just tried to smack him with a baseball bat over and over and over like 20 rounds of smacking him with a baseball bat wasn't going anywhere the the flip side of having nerd sniped myself and knowing about the Sword of Kings is that I also saw in the same guide that you had to pray to win. So I actually already knew what to do. But had I not seen this guide, I don't think I would have... I do not think it would have been obvious that that was what you should do. I mean, in a way, I guess it's good that it's not obvious. You don't want it to be so formulaic. But Pokey does say, Haha, what are you going to do now? Try and call for help telepathically or something. That's what you do, isn't it? Oh, if only I could have had the satisfaction of working that out. Yeah, because you Googled it as well, didn't you? In the end, I had to. But but that was your hint that you need to pray. How, uh, how it, triumphant I would have felt. It's weird, because pray doesn't work like that the rest of the game. It's not, they don't suggest that pray is... Well, I guess they kind of imply that that's what Paula is doing when she calls out for help. Because I guess Paula is the one who's been... She calls to you, and then she calls to Jeff... That makes more sense. So I guess that is implying that's what Prey is doing. But that's not how Prey kind of sounds like it works in battle up to this point. In any case, she calls out to all your friends, the various people you've met throughout the game, and then finally to you, you the player. So that's what they used your name for. I actually don't know whether it's just the damage that you do by praying that defeats Gygus, or if your, if your other attacks do it as well because he does have a lot of health because uh, i think the final prayer attack is like twenty five thousand damage doesn't it but i don't know if you were really to whittle him down would you eventually beat him do you know if it's possible to beat him through physical attacks only i, I don't know i didn't know i didn't have the foresight to look this up it was a debate what well, the forums i checked it was a debate between people no one could say f- for sure because otherwise I would have kept going down that route if I knew it was possible. 
just out of bloody mindedness. Well, because I'd done so much, I thought I would have been close. How much were your smashes doing? A few hundred. So, like low hundreds or almost a thousand. Mid, I would have said mid, like five hundred. Okay, so I mean that would be a long time. Ten thousand. Was that saying ten thousand though? Isn't it? Oh, yeah, because I, I think you have to do probably like at least forty to fifty thousand damage based on what the prayer attacks are doing. I'll just switch to prayer then. I don't know. I, I mean, I was attacking him between. I was star storming with Pooh, and I was mostly just using Nez's bash and getting a lot of smashes out of that. Was he doing any damage to you? Hardly any. That was weird as well. Yeah, but that's because um, of the well, the Franklin badge. I mean, you couldn't comprehend the form of his attack, but really it was just psi attacks he was doing against you. So a lot of them could be blocked or reflected by power shields, absorbed by the different pendants. I mean, he did he did actually take out Paula at one point. I think he used like Psy Flash and insta-killed Paula. But it was, you know, it's easy at this point. I just rezzed her. So not that difficult after all. I actually did the most damage to myself at the very beginning of the fight. In the very first phase of the fight, when you're fighting Pokey as well, Gygus is actually invincible, like reflects all damage. I didn't realise this. And I was like, let's open with my strongest attacks. Psyrockin Omega, Starstorm Omega. And then obviously reflected hundreds of damage back onto myself and had to Omega heal. But seven rounds of prayer you need as well. Is it seven? Is it even more than seven? It's a lot. I thought it was nice. It was nice that it was a bit different. I mean, the combat in Earthbound is kind of... It's so bursty. Like, I don't think it ever feels really good. Like, it never really feels like you're on a knife edge, you know, and the battle is like you won it through your clever strategy. It's, it's often you steamroller it or you get steamrollered. So this last battle kind of almost being just a story-driven thing, I'm okay with it. I guess you'll tell me this isn't what all turn-based battles are like, like turn-based battle-type games are like. I don't think so. I think you should play Final Fantasy. I think that's the other thing that I kind of realised playing through this, is that although I think that I've played quite a lot of JRPGs, I think most of them have been Final Fantasy. So maybe this is just a question of how they're balanced and this one happens to be balanced this way. And that's it. That's it. So at the end, what were your levels? I don't know. What were my levels? So you clearly, clearly favoured Nez. Did did you leave your party for dead quite a lot? It wasn't just this last time, was it? Is it Cave of the Past? Yeah. From that bit onwards. Okay, that's not too bad. Did you? How many levels did you gain here? Jeez. Okay, so... Your final levels are Nez, 82, Paige, 67, Ralph, sorry, I should say Paige is Paula, Ralph, who's Jeff, 65, and Pooh, 62. Yeah. Mine are a bit more balanced. So this is carrying on from my level 70 save. Nez, 86, Paula, 79, Jeff, 78, and Pooh, 75. And that's how you meant to do it. Well, I don't know, define meant to. Uh, it, I guess the other thing that's interesting, though, is when it comes to the grinding, in the Cave of the Past, which is the final area where you were fighting things just as Nez, actually, I guess because the XP is split between your party, maybe that's why you went up so much. 
because you were getting four times the XP effectively then. Yeah. But in the cave of the past, I think the enemies give you about 10,000 XP uh, when divided by four, so I guess 40,000 per battle for you. In Stonehenge base, the enemies actually give you about seven or 8,000. So it's actually not that much different, which explains how I was able to get to level 90-something. Interestingly, you can still walk around the the world after you take out Kygus and Pokey. Yeah, it is nice. So the ending, it's not like you beat Kygus, end credits play. You beat Kygus, your souls return to your human bodies. That's not how physics works, but it's fine. And then you get a nice ending. You get a nice interactive ending. So you get to see the world that you have saved. You can, you have all your powers, but there are just no enemies anymore. So Pooh teleports away using his Psy Farewell ability or whatever, and magically leaves behind some letters from people to you. Jeff decides to leave your party and hang out with his dad for a bit to do some magical inventing and Paula Paula goes with you to well she asks you to escort her home back to the Polestar is it the Polestar? back to the back to the preschool in Tucson and yeah you just have free reign over the game world you can teleport anywhere you can talk to anyone did you actually do much of this? you just went straight home just went home you just went home and you got the credits yeah, I'm actually surprised I didn't walk Paula home though. What? Why? Was it late at night? Were you Were you in a rush? No, there was no rush. You were just like, game ends. It's done. There's no achievement tied to this. <laughs> you didn't bask in your glory. There was no glory to bask in it. That's That's how I read it. So sad. You didn't. You should have appreciated. You should have gone. They 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 gave a lot of characters unique dialogue for the ending and. You know, bits of the game world change to reflect it. If you think right back to the very beginning of the game, Frank, like the gangstery guy, he decides to get, you know, clean up his life and get a job, and now he works in a burger joint. But I think he's saving up to follow his passion, which is wrestling. Uh, what else happens? What else happens? I, I went back to On It and I bought the house. So if you remember, I don't, I don't think we mentioned it at the time, but in On It, off to the the west of Onnit, there's like a cliff face and there's like a house and there's an estate agent selling the house and it's like $7,500, this house could be yours. Bargain. Bargain. Well, at at the point in the game where you first discover the house, $7,500 is a lot of money. But at the end of the game, considering I've got hundreds of thousands of dollars, I just went up to a cash machine, withdrew a hundred grand and he was like, yeah, have some chump change. Here's $7,500. He was like, it's all yours. So he, he said that the house has beautiful ocean views. There's a reason why it's 7,500. Yeah, so the entire back wall of the house is missing. <laughs> but it's technically correct. It has a beautiful ocean view. And uh, I picked up another Fuzzy Pickles photograph there as well. What else did I do? What else did I do? I discovered that Pokey's mum is having an affair. So if you go back to Pokey's house, 
his mum is there and she's as insulting as ever to you and there's some other guy there called like mr pretty face or something and she's like oh he's so dreamy he's so smart it's like what is this and if you go to the cafe which is really a bar in foreside pokey's dad is there and you see he was like don't tell my wife i'm here and he's just drinking heavily coffee though well cappuccinos but really it's alcohol in the japanese version what else did i do what else did i do i finally rode the bike did you ride the bike no i bought the bike and i stored the bike (laughs) yeah i specially retrieved it from escargo express so well actually i retrieved it from tracy because i think escargo express when you call them up they're like oh i'm sorry i've had a baby i've decided to give the delivery business a rest so if you actually want to get your items out from escargo express you actually have to go and talk to tracy in person in on it but i can teleport so it's no big deal so i teleported back there i retrieved the bike and you can only ride the bike when you're on your own so the only times you can do it are either right at the very beginning of the game before you get paula or now right at the very end after you've taken paula home so i finally rode the bike and it's not like a teleport it's not the, the bike when you ride it is basically the same speed as walking and it just plays this happy bicycling song but it's animated, unlike the bus. Yeah, it's animated. And I guess, yeah, that's the other thing, taking Paula home. So you didn't do this. Nope. But you can take Paula to meet your mum. And she's like, oh, you've got a girlfriend. It's so cute. And Does she use those words? I think it's pretty much, yeah. They pretty much mentioned that Paula's your girlfriend or something. And similar when you take, similarly, when you take Paula home, Paula's dad like comments on you about whether you're an acceptable boyfriend for Paula. Is this a carry on from mother? I don't think so. I think the, the the characters are different in Mother. So, I I don't think that's really made clear at all in the game. It's like, wait, when did this happen? It's just like, oh, you're the main protagonist and she's the female character, so now you're a couple. Is this parents doing what parents do? I don't know. I Interpret it how you will. And then, yeah, once you're done exploring, or if you can't be bothered to explore because you're soulless, you talk to your mum and she shows you well, she said, oh, and this photo guy dropped off this photo album. So you finally get to see all the photos that have been taken throughout the game as well. Actually, and it's really nice. You get you get the credits. It shows you all the characters. And it's, it's not just that it shows you the characters too. It's animated and it's got some character to it. So like the Runaway Five are like running around. And there's a Mr. Saturn hiding with the tenders and he swaps out for one. Your dad is represented by a phone. I thought it was quite funny. Yeah. There's some payoff in that thing then. And then finally, yeah, the photos themselves. It shows you all the photos throughout the game that you took. And they're meant to be 32. Yes, I think it's possible to get 32. So I had 29. I only got 26. Yeah, goodness knows where I missed them. I think it's probably Scarabba. I didn't explore it as thoroughly as I should. Or maybe later on when I was just powering through. It's entirely possible I missed some there. post-credit scene oh 
What happens? For me, what happened is the receiver phone started ringing and my dad said, you've been playing an awfully long time. Maybe we should give it a rest. And I was like, what? That actually made me laugh. I had that too. But then you go downstairs and Picky, who's Pokey's brother, runs in and says, I got this letter. It appeared from Pokey. And he's like, hey, chump, catch me if you can, basically. And then it says the end, question mark. Uh, so closing thoughts. You had a lot of closing thoughts. <laughs> I, how do I feel about the story? Like the story. So well, actually, let's take taking a step back. Earthbound. It's called Earthbound. It makes it sound like it's the only one. And then, well, really, it was the only one that was released in the West. So the game Earthbound is actually the middle game in a trilogy. Which is not obvious from from the name because the games either side weren't released in the West, or at least not until recently. So Earthbound is Mother 2, which is released in 94 in Japan and 95 in the US, and never in Europe, at least not until the Virtual Console release. Mother, the first one, is 89 in Japan, and... It was actually translated to English, but just never released. And it finally got released on the Virtual Console in 2015. And then Mother 3 actually had quite a fraught development cycle. It was originally an N64 game. In 3D. In 3D. But was eventually released on the Game Boy Advance in 2006. So what is going on with the story? I mean, it's quite weird. I'm not sure whether it makes more sense if you've actually played the game's either side of it but in particular two things that are mentioned in earthbound well there's there's the phase distorter which is how you go back in time or teleport anyway in the first place i think that probably was mentioned i just wasn't paying enough attention the other thing is the apple of enlightenment so they just drop this on you several times they bring up this apple of enlightenment and it has a prophecy that nez would defeat gygas but i have no idea what this apple of enlightenment is they also don't really ever explicitly say who or what gygas is other than that he's an alien. And I think I read a plot synopsis of Mother, and that deals much more with Gygus. But it doesn't really make any more sense. If anything, it makes it more ridiculous. It, it just it makes the plot seem kind of stupider. So, I don't know. I guess I'm probably overthinking it. I mean, what does the plot really matter? In a way, the plot is like maybe the least important part of this game. I guess this game is famous for the, for the setting and the whimsy and the funny humour. Yeah, that it certainly does have. I I guess the other reason this game has kind of come back into the spotlight recently is the massive success of Undertale. And this game is cited as one of the inspirations for Undertale. And you can see quite a lot of parallels between them. There, There are certain scenes or events or kinds of, you know, things that happen, like emotional I don't know what how to describe it, states, storylines in Earthbound, and you can see how they've kind of, well, how they have inspired similar parallel kind of scenes in in Undertale, without getting into too much detail, since this isn't a spoilers for Undertale kind of ep. I feel um, I would have enjoyed Undertale more if, had I played it. Had you played Earthbound first? Yep, definitely. A lot of it was like, uh, these mechanics are weird. This is weird. For what reason? But now, Earthbound has told me there doesn't need to be a reason. (laughs) Just enjoy the... Just enjoy what's in front of you. But Undertale does bind it all together much better. 
than Earthbound does. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's like a time, again, like a time and place thing. Like, had I played this game when it came out? I mean, had I played this game when it first came out, I probably would have been a more appropriate age. I probably would have been a similar age to Nez in the game. And maybe then it would have spoken to me more. But but now I guess things have just changed. I, I guess I was expecting a lot more dialogue or a lot more exposition or the story to be clearer. Uh, and it's quite a long game. If you think, if you compare to, say, Undertale, which is like six hours long-ish, and yet Undertale, you know, elicited much stronger emotions in me than this, even though I spent much more time with the characters in Earthbound than in Undertale. You know, Undertale made me, like, tear up, and this I was just kind of like, ugh, another thing, run away, or Starstorm, or Baseball Bat. So, yeah, it's interesting to see maybe this is just people have got better at game design i don't know another weird parallel i wanted to mention i don't know why i think this but for some reason it made me think of dark souls maybe it was just because i spent six hours grinding in stonehenge base similar to the time i had to grind to kill that freaking boss well that was in bloodborne not dark souls but you know the souls games and, and i think that might be a weird parallel i mean particularly for this stupid item you get similar problems in dark souls with unique drops but also the vagueness of the story which is the key thing but i think this is something that people have learned to do better since then because in earthbound the story the story is weird and vague and there's there's lots of things that are left kind of hanging like the apple of enlightenment and this is the sort of thing that does happen in dark souls 2 with like linking the fire what does it mean but there's enough backstory there like the thing is there the story really exists and it's possible for you to figure it out if you look hard enough. I don't think that's the case here. I think they just didn't go into detail and there's no way you could know. It's probably all in Shigesato Itoi's head, but there's no way you're going to find it out other than reading tons of interviews and backstories. Maybe it's sorted out in Mother 3, I don't know. What do you get for the Sword of Kings? How powerful is that thing? I don't think it's even that powerful. I think it's like it's something like plus 30 attack. And if you consider Nezza's final weapon, which you're pretty much guaranteed to get, well, the legendary bat, which you can get in the Cave of the Past, just in a box, is plus 110 attack. So the Sword of Kings is really not very good. And I think a lot of the best weapons in the game are 1 in 128 drops. Because there's a potential weapon for Nez called the Gutsy Bat, which is plus 100 attack only but plus 125 guts which means you're basically going to be smashing all the time with it jeff can get the is it gaia beam or something because it's possible for one enemy to drop a broken antenna which is another one in 128 chances a lot of the best items in the game are are that rare as drops but after my experience with the sword of kings i was very much well it gave me a healthy appreciation for just how low the probability of getting one of these things is you know there's knowing something academically and there's knowing something viscerally and now i have a visceral sense for how small a chance one in 128 is you know what this should really teach me the chance of winning the mark six which is one in 14 million <laughs> yeah so how many times am i gonna have to play the mark six before i learn my lesson there I'm oh, going by this demonstration. <laughs> You've got many more times. Many more years to play. Final, final thought. I would still quite like to play Mother 3 because there is a fan translation available of it. 
Maybe if we're lucky, they'll release it on the Nintendo Switch Virtual Console. They'll finally do a translation of it. Oh, an official translation. An official translation. An official translation. An official English release. That would be nice. Fingers crossed. Yeah, that'd be nice. For Nintendo Switchmas. Anything from you? It's better than what I expected, but it disappointed you. I think it was a lull in the middle, but the start was promising and it did finish interestingly. I'm glad I played it. And I definitely do appreciate Undertale more now. If you haven't played Undertale, play Undertale. It's only six hours long. Yeah, seriously, play Undertale. That's it. We were Lost Levels Club. We still are Lost Levels Club. Please rate and subscribe to us on iTunes. Please. You can find us on email. Mike.and.ting at lostlevels.club. You can find us on Twitter. At Lost Levels Club. Or maybe you can find us on Reddit. Slash r slash Lost Levels Club. And that's it. That's it. So goodbye from Tingothy. Goodbye. And a goodbye from a grateful Sir Michael. Goodbye. <laughs>